Once again, good morning to everyone. We're just excited to be with you here today. Um, we want to also say a great welcome to all of our guests that are joining us online today. If you're joining us, whether through Facebook or through our live stream, we're excited that you've come to listen and we pray God meets you in a special way. I'm excited to get into God's Word. How many of you are ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. I love... I love to worship, I love to sing, I love to shout, I love to dance, but I also like to get into the scriptures and hear what God is saying to us today. And I'm excited to be with you today. And once again, if you're a guest with us today, I'm just excited that you're here. I hope to meet you after service at our hospitality center. Hope you'll join us for next. Um, We'd love just to share that time with you, help you learn a little bit more about just what we do here at Bethel Church. But I'm excited, again, to get into God's word today. You may notice that I have a few chairs with me on the stage today, and they all probably look fairly familiar, all of these chairs you can find at various places around our building. If you look at this chair, that's the one that all of us are sitting in today. The second chair you'll find in our church cafe, where many of us have breakfast every morning. In this uh, chair right here, we've got our student ministry. Many of you guys know on Friday nights, we've got uh, over 80 students that come in and worship every Friday night, and we're excited for that. And then over here, one of my favorite ones, I'm going to lift this one up because it's a little bit smaller. We have all of our amazing children, all of our children that are meeting even right now as we speak, that are hearing and experiencing the love of Jesus in their life. And this is going to, don't give me too much credit on this, it wasn't that hard to figure out, but we have over 1,200 chairs in our building, all right, throughout this room and our auditoriums and everywhere you go. We have over 1,200 chairs, and again, don't give me too much credit, most of them are in this room. So, um, but we have a lot of chairs in this building, and they are filled every single Sunday, and we're excited, and we're, we're excited for that, and we're thankful for God for that. And, you know, for many of us, we may see these chairs as just chairs, as fabric, metal legs, and a few screws that put them together, but I see the chairs a little bit differently. And my hope is that by the end of today, all of us will see these chairs a little bit differently. We've all heard the the phrase before, if walls could talk. If walls could talk. Well, today I want to ask the question, what if seats could talk? What if chairs could talk? Because for many of us, we may look at this chair right here and it doesn't mean anything to us. But when I look at this chair, I see a story. I see thousands of stories that have, been, that have happened at this, in this chair and in the chairs that you're sitting in today. When I see this chair, I think of the married couple that has come in here and their marriage has been on the rocks and they've been contemplating divorce and their family's been falling apart. But something happened when they sat in that chair because they met Jesus in that chair and it transformed their life forever. I think about the countless people who have walked into our building over the years bound in addiction, drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction, whatever it may be. And they came in here bound, but they left free because of something that happened in that chair. I think about the, the individual who came in here, and maybe you're even here today, bound in fear and anxiety and stress, and you don't know where to go and you don't know where to turn. But in that chair, maybe you have experienced freedom, or I'm believing today you're going to experience freedom as you sit in that chair this morning. This chair even represents the person that came here not looking for anything. The one that came here because they were just invited by a friend for a baby dedication or a baptism or someone promised them lunch after church or maybe it was a mom or dad trying to set their son or daughter up with someone from the church and that's how they got them here. But they weren't coming here looking for anything but by the time they left they found everything because they found Jesus Christ in that chair. 
And we can look at this chair, and, and this is from our church cafe. And again, we may not think of our cafe as anything more than a place where people get breakfast. But did you know that over the years, there have been thousands and thousands of small group meetings that have happened in these chairs? People that are doing life together. People that are doing community together. Every Sunday night, we have Celebrate Recovery for people who are bound in addiction and they're sitting in these chairs and stories are being written in those chairs. I could tell you that a month ago, right here in our building at one of these chairs, a gentleman came in thinking he was just going to have a cup of coffee and a conversation with an individual from our church. By the time that conversation was over, he had given his life to Jesus right here in our building. Amen. This is far more than just a cafe chair. There are conversations, there's life change happening in these seats. I could come here and I could talk about Friday nights when dozens and dozens of students are coming and sitting in these chairs and they're worshiping the Lord and they're experiencing His power. But it also represents the student that's coming and their family is falling apart. And it's all falling on them. And they don't know where to go and they don't know where to turn, but in that chair they found hope in Jesus Christ. The, the one that was struggling with their sexuality but found freedom in Jesus in that chair. The one who, who had a burden for their, for, their, for their school but they didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to reach them. But in this moment, God gave them a revelation in that chair of how they can reach their generation for Jesus. If only those chairs could talk and tell a story. And I could even come to our smallest chair and I could tell you about the countless children who have gone through the foster systems of New Jersey but have sat in one of these chairs and found hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. I could tell you about the child who goes back and forth between mom's house and dad's house every weekend and there's no stability and there's no assurances and there's no hope. But in that chair, they were introduced to their creator. They were introduced to their heavenly father. If only these seats could talk. And we could go on and on and on about the stories that these chairs could tell us. The stories that have taken place in those chairs. We could talk about the stories of those who sat in the chair and what their story has been since then. And I could go on and talk about your story. And what God has done for you in one of those chairs. What God has done in your life. I know, because, I know this because I've talked to so many of you. That some of the most pivotal moments of your life have taken place in one of these chairs. Freedom, salvation, uh, you know, uh, strength, and grace that you never knew before happened in those chairs. And maybe even as I was giving some of those examples, that was your story that I shared just then. Because these are not just chairs, they are stories. And they represent people that have, been, that have stepped out of death into life and have found hope and freedom in Jesus Christ. And it all happened because of an invitation. It all happened because at some point or another, they were invited to sit in one of these chairs. They were invited to a small group meeting. They were invited to student ministry. Their families came and brought their children to church. It all began with an invitation. And for so many of us, the reason that you're here today is because at some point someone invited you. They told you, hey, I come to this church and I love it and I think you'll love it too. Or, hey, God's doing something greater. There's an Easter drama or there's a Christmas concert. There's something happening and I would love for you to be here. And as you sat in that chair, God did something incredible in your life. And you've never been the same since. It's all because of an invitation. And see, this is the exact way that Jesus was. And again, I said this right when we finished worship. 
If you're here today and you maybe have some, some hazy ideas of who Jesus is, you know, we, we live in a, in a time, especially here in our, in our culture, where the image of Jesus has been so skewed and so distorted and so destroyed. My hope today is that all of us would walk away knowing the true Jesus and what he really came to do. But this is what Jesus did. Jesus, all throughout his life, all throughout his ministry, was constantly looking for the invitation. He was always looking for the opportunity to invite someone in to a greater story. He always was looking for the opportunity to say, listen, I know what your story is, but I'm writing a greater one for you. I know that your story is filled with shame and guilt and pain, but I'm writing a story of mercy and forgiveness and victory all throughout his ministry. And we could go on and on. We could talk about when he called his first 12 disciples. And he didn't give them long speeches. He just simply went to them and said, follow me. Follow me. He invited them into something greater. We could talk about this one amazing moment in John chapter 4 when Jesus, a Jewish man, was walking through the town of Samaria, a place that no Jewish man would have ever been at. Jewish, uh, in those days, Jews and Samaritans had no contact with each other. Jews looked down upon Samaritans. In, in that culture, Jesus had no business there, but that's exactly where he was, breaking down racial barriers the whole way. And he walked into that town and he met a woman who had been bound in sexual sin and she was looking for fulfillment from man after man after man. And Jesus didn't condemn her. Jesus didn't uh, crush her. Jesus didn't come and preach at her. No, he sat down and talked with her. He learned her story. He learned what she had experienced. And by the end of that conversation, she had been set free. In fact, she had been so set free, she ran into her entire town and told them, hey, you need to come and meet this Jesus. The invited became the inviter on that day. We could talk about a small man named Zacchaeus, who we've all heard about in Sunday school. This little man named Zacchaeus, who was the town thug, the town thief, Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Everyone looked down upon him. They wanted nothing to do with him except for Jesus. Jesus saw past all of that, and he went to Zacchaeus, and he said, Today, I'm coming to your house. I'm not going to spend it with everyone else today. I want to meet you, Zacchaeus. And we don't know what all they talked about in that house, but what we do know is that Zacchaeus went into that invitation, a sinner, and he walked out transformed. Something happened as he got to know Jesus that transformed his life forever. We could talk about a religious leader named Nicodemus who was surrounded by his peers and he was told that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus was a lunatic or a fanatic and that he was dangerous. But there was something about Jesus that made Nicodemus want to know more. He needed to understand more. And so in the, in the darkness of night, he goes and he visits Jesus and he says, are you really the son of God? And in that moment, Jesus gave an invitation to lay aside all the things he thought he knew and embrace something new that was happening, that God was doing in the world. And then we could even go to John chapter 8, one of my favorite scriptures and all, all, stories in all the Bible. John chapter 8, Jesus is in the middle of teaching the people. And all of a sudden, there's a rumbling in the crowd as the religious leaders begin to drag a woman to the feet of Jesus. Not just any woman, this was a woman caught in the very act of adultery. She was not a known adulterer. She was caught in the act, pulled from the bed. And she was dragged in front of Jesus and thrown down. And they were prepared to kill this woman. 
and on the religious leaders, they looked at Jesus and they said, our law says we're supposed to stone her. But we want to know what you think, Jesus. We want to know, Jesus, what do you think of her story? And Jesus looked at them and he said, the one who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, they walked away. One by one, they left until the only one left, ironically, was Jesus, the only one who could judge her. But instead of reaching for a stone, he reached for her. And he lifted her up and said, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there aren't any. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He said, listen, I know what your story is. I know what your story has been. But I'm inviting you to a greater story. I'm inviting you to something new. What you've experienced doesn't have to be the end. What you're going through doesn't have to define you. I have something more for your life. I have something greater. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, that was his message. It was an invitation to step out of our story and into a greater story. To step out of our story of sin and guilt and pain and into a story of forgiveness and victory. And there's maybe no greater moment where Jesus kind of clarifies this and makes this known than in the book of Luke chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles here, we're going to go here for a moment. In Luke chapter 5, we read this very short story of a, of a moment between Jesus and a man named Levi. Now we know that Levi was actually the disciple Matthew, Matthew Levi. But in Luke's gospel, he refers to him just as Levi. And it's the moment that Levi meets with Jesus. And in just a few short verses, Jesus shows what his invitation was all about and everything he did. So in Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 27, it says, after, he went out and saw, or after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi and sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, I want to stop there real fast because there's a few things right there that are just so important. The first is Levi was a tax collector. Now, we may not think of that as being a big deal today, but in those days, being a tax collector was about the lowest you could get. It was about the most sinister thing you could do because these tax collectors were notorious for charging exorbitant amounts of interest. They were notorious for charging people extra so that they could keep the profits, and that was bad enough. But what was even worse about being a tax collector is that they worked for Rome, and at that time, Rome was oppressive to the Jewish nation. They had been, you know, laying upon them heavy tolls, heavy taxes, heavy judgment. And so if you were a Jewish tax collector, you were not just a thief. You were a traitor to your own people. And no one wanted anything to do with a tax collector. They were lower than low. They were, they were shunned by all. They were pushed to the fringes of society. They were excommunicated from the synagogues. No one wanted anything to do with a tax collector. Except, ironically, Jesus wanted everything to do with the tax collector. And Jesus goes and it says that he found Levi at his tax booth. Translation, he found Levi in the middle of his sin. He found Levi in the middle of stealing from people, of extorting people. He found him in the middle of his filth, and he only said, follow me. Now, I don't know if there was more to that conversation. Maybe there was a few other, but all we know is what it says next in, in verse 28. It says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I don't know if Jesus said anything else to Levi, but I might just be crazy enough to think that one invitation from Jesus can change everything 
forever. Sometimes it doesn't need to be an entire sermon. Sometimes it doesn't need to be this whole big thing. Sometimes an invitation of Jesus is enough to cause us to leave everything behind, to burn those bridges of our past sinful life, and to move forward into a relationship with Jesus. In the next verse, though, verse tw- this is where I love how the story be- where the story gets going. It says, And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the first thing I think that it's amazing here is when Levi came to know Jesus, what did he do? He threw a party. He celebrated. We don't celebrate enough what God is doing in the lives of individuals. There is nothing in this world worth celebrating more than when people step out of death and into life. There is nothing that should get us more excited than when we see people step into the waters of baptism and experience Jesus. Levi didn't just sit back and say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. No, he threw a party. He celebrated. And you and I need to be in the, in the uh, we need to ha- be in the habit of celebrating what God is doing. We need to be in this habit of celebrating the one who comes to know Christ, the one who finds hope in this world. He threw a party. <laughs> I love this part, though. It says that at the party, though, there was a great number. If you can go back to that last slide. It says that at the party, there was a great number, a great company of tax collectors and others. And if you read this same story in some of the other Gospels, it actually says tax collectors and sinners, which just shows you how bad they thought of tax collectors. Sinners wasn't even a bad enough word for them. They had to have their own category. But so this room, this banquet was filled with the lowest of the low, with those who had done the worst things possible. I think what's so amazing about this moment is that when Levi came to know Jesus, he didn't burn the bridges of all of his unbelieving friends. No, he invited them all to come and meet Jesus. When he came to know Jesus, he didn't say, I'm just going to go get around good people or other Christians. He says, no, I'm going to invite all of my sinner friends to come and meet him too. Because if Jesus can change my life, then he can change their life. If Jesus can do that in what what I've done, what I've experienced, then he can do that for anyone. He wasn't content with his salvation. He wasn't going to be content until everyone knew what Jesus had done in his life. And the next part, though, this is where, this is just, you know, I, I don't know. I love, like, Jesus, the way he's just so blunt with people and things like that. Like, I just am a big fan of the way Jesus interacted. But in the next part, in verse 30, it's, or in verse, yeah, verse 30, it says, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so I don't know how they found out. Maybe the tax collectors or the Pharisees were walking down the street that night and they saw the party and they realized they weren't invited and they got jealous. Maybe word got back to them that that the party was going on. I don't know how it happened, but they found out that Jesus, this Jewish man proclaiming to be the Son of God, was spending his night not with the religious people, not with the holy people, but with the sinners, with the ones who... Uh, probably up until that moment, never even knew who Jesus was, wanted nothing to do with God. That's who he was spending his night with. And they were filled with jealousy and rage and anger, and they went up to those disciples, and, and obviously Jesus heard this too, and they says, why would you spend any time with those people? Why would you want anything to do with those sinners and those tax collectors? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know who they are? You could be spending your night with us, the good ones, the holy ones, the righteous ones. And then Jesus, in a way that only Jesus can do, in verse 31 says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then in 32 he says, I have come, 
or I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And so Jesus looks at this challenge and he says to them, wait a minute, who needs a doctor? Sick people or healthy people? All right, sick people need a doctor. He says, the same is true with me. I didn't come to call the ones who think they're righteous. I came to call the sinners. I didn't come to hang out with those who think they've got it all together. I came to hang out with the one who knows that they don't have it all together. And what's so ironic about what Jesus says is if we go to Romans chapter 3, and this is Paul speaking, in Romans chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, this is what Paul says. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And then if you skip a few verses to verse 23, he then says this. He says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you actually look at what Jesus was saying in that moment, I came to call the sinner, not the righteous. What he's really saying is, no one is righteous. You're only righteous if you think you're righteous. You're only righteous because you've been blinded to the truth. The truth is, sinners encompasses all of us. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short. There is no one that can stand and say that they've arrived, that they've done it, that they've earned it. All of us have fallen short of the greatness of God's glory. All of us have fallen short of his standard. And so in those words, Jesus is saying, even to you, Pharisee, I want you to know, I came for everyone. I even came for you. You're blind now, but I came for you. I came for anyone who would believe. I came for the sinner. I came for the one who has fallen apart, who's ruined their lives. I've come, I've come for the one that's been bound in addiction. I've come for the one who has ruined other people's lives so that they can find hope and restoration in this world. And in this small moment, Jesus just shows us what his invitation is all about. Jesus didn't come to just throw upon us a list of rules and do's and don'ts. No, he came for so much more than that. He came to save us. He came to transform us. He came so that anyone who would call upon his name could find hope and forgiveness in this world. He, he came for all of us. He came for every last individual. And he came to remind us that the sin that has been in us, the sin that's been around us, no longer has to define us. The things that we've struggled with don't have to be the end. He is the end. He's inviting us into a greater story. He's, in, he's inviting us into something more. I mean, what a beautiful picture of Jesus. He's literally sitting in a room filled with the most notorious people in town. And they loved him. They couldn't get enough of him. And he couldn't get enough of them because that's the whole reason he came. Was to call men and women to salvation. Was to bring people into a greater... When was the last time that you and I spent time with unbelievers? When was the last time that we, that we spent time with people who didn't know Jesus Christ? When was the last time that, that, we, that we treated them the way Jesus did? See, so many of us are stuck like the Pharisees. And we sit around thinking that Jesus is supposed to love me because of what I do. And I don't have to worry about everybody else. And we're thinking that if I just do enough good things, if I say all the right things, that that should be enough. That that's going to earn God's grace and mercy somehow. Jesus came to say, no, there's nothing you can do to earn my love and mercy. By yourself, we are fallen we are unrighteous, and we stand condemned and guilty in the eyes of God. But Jesus came to give us hope. 
Jesus came to come and make all things new. Jesus came so that if anyone would be in Christ, they would be a new creation. They would not be a better version of the old creation. They would be a new creation. And all things would, pa- would fall away and everything would be made new. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to be the friend of sinners. Jesus came to spend time with those who had never heard. Jesus came to reach out to those who were on the fringes of society. Jesus wasn't ashamed to be known with the sinners. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with them in public. In fact, Jesus seems to make it his habit of spending most of his time with those who had never known. Those who had never heard the good news. And I want to go very quickly, as we kind of begin to land this for a moment, I want to go to one more short story. And this is found also in the book of Luke, in, in verse tw- starting in verse, or, sorry, chapter 23. In Luke 23, we find a story that, to me, perfectly encapsulates, again, the invitation. In that moment in, with Levi and the Pharisees, Jesus kind of made known, this is what I've come to do. This is my invitation. But in this story, Jesus shows it what that invitation is all about. Jesus shows the world what his invitation looks like, what it costs, but the power that lies within it. And it doesn't happen in a place that most of us would think it would. It doesn't happen as he's preaching to people. It doesn't happen as he's doing a miracle or anything like that. No, this happens in a much different place. This happens on a Friday morning on a hill called Calvary. As Jesus, the Son of God, hung suspended between heaven and earth. As nails had been driven through his hands and his feet. As a crown of thorns was crushing into his skull. As his body had been ripped to shreds and his blood poured out for mankind. As as he was gasping for air, choking on his own blood. But on that day, Jesus did not die alone. There were two men that were also condemned to die with Jesus. In the beginning of the story, if you kind of go back and you read the other gospel accounts, it seems to be that both of these thieves had mixed feelings about who Jesus was. Or maybe they both had the exact same feeling that he was a phony, he was a fraud. Because in other versions it says that in the beginning, both thieves scoffed at Jesus and jeered at him, mocked him. And in one moment as they hung on the cross together, the one thief looks at Jesus and he says, you know, aren't you the son of God? You know, then come down, save us. Prove who you are today. Save yourself, save me too. I wonder how many of us are just like that thief. We want Jesus to come along and do what we want to do in our story instead of embracing his story. We want God, Jesus to come off that cross and, and, and help our story progress forward. But we're unwilling to surrender to his story. But then the other thief has a much different reaction. And, and what's so interesting about what he said is that, again, in the beginning of this day when they first began, it seems as though this man even was against Jesus and mocked him. But by this point, as they hung there, something had changed. And I don't know what it was. Maybe... Maybe it was because Jesus was the first one he'd ever seen willingly go to the cross. The first one to not fight it. The first one to not try to escape. 
the first one to willingly stretch out his arms for the nails. Maybe it was because he heard Jesus cry out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. But he saw something in Jesus in that moment. And he looked at that other thief and he said, Do you not fear God, since you and I are under the exact same condemnation? And he continues and he says, And we indeed justly, we deserve this, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He he rebukes this other thief. Something had changed in this moment. He now realized that Jesus was not like anyone else. Jesus had a love and mercy that he had never seen anywhere else. (laughs) And then he looks at Jesus and he says some of the most powerful words ever. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He looks at Jesus. I mean, he's literally looking at the one who is purchasing his salvation in that moment. And he says, Jesus, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. But I do know that I have made a mess of my story. I do know that my story is tainted and is stained all the evidence I need to, to have that is where I'm hanging right now in this moment. He says, I know I've failed. I know I've messed up. I know that I don't deserve grace and forgiveness. I know that my story is, is ugly. But I, I believe that you have something more. I believe that there's a greater story in you. And all he can say is, remember me. Remember me, Jesus, in your story. Remember me when you step into your kingdom. And I can only imagine that the thought went through Jesus' mind. Remember you. How could I ever forget you? You're the reason I'm hanging here today. You're the reason my blood is being poured out in this moment. And Jesus looked at that thief and he said, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will step into a new story. Your story will not end with this cross. Your story will not end with eternity separated from God. Your story will become my story. Your story will now be one of victory and triumph. And in that moment, that thief experienced in the most vivid, most aggressive, most brutal way possible, the invitation of Jesus Christ. Literally, he is staring at the blood that is purchasing his salvation in that moment. And he experienced what salvation in Jesus is all about. That Jesus came, gave his life in our place, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave so that anyone who believes in him could be restored. So that anyone who believes in him could step out of their story and into his story. All throughout the Bible, it is very, very apparent that the story of our lives, apart from Jesus, is flawed. And flawed is probably even too light of a word. Our story without Jesus ultimately ends to an eternity separated from God. And all throughout the Bible, it is God calling people to a greater story. It is God inviting people to step out of their story and into the story that he's been writing for all of, for all of history. 
into a, not, a, not to a story of shame and guilt, but into a story of forgiveness, a story of mercy, a story of grace, a story of victory. It's the same invitation that that thief experienced that day. It's the same invitation that Levi experienced and all of his sinner friends. It's the same story that that woman caught in adultery experienced. The same invitation that Zacchaeus experienced. It's the same invitation that so many of you have experienced and countless others. But it's also the same same invitation that is still available to anyone who would believe. You and I are not the last ones to be saved. We are believing there is going to be so many more in our community, in our high school. I don't know if you guys realize this. Every Sunday there's a high school literally 50 feet from our building filled with students who don't know what Jesus has done, who are living a story that they might think is okay, but ultimately is leading them down destruction. And the same can be said about anyone in our families and our lives. But the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of Easter, is that Jesus came and rewrote the story. And he's invited us to come into it with him. And Jesus hasn't said you have to live up to this standard to enter into that story. He hasn't said you have to do this, 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 and this. He just says all you need to do is embrace me. Put your faith and trust in me. And my story becomes your story. And you walk in that victory. So I'm going to sit down for this because I want everyone to listen. All right, I'm going to bring it in really close. So as we close this down this morning, I say all of this to basically say one thing. Two weeks from now, we're going to come into this room together and we're going to celebrate the story of Jesus. We're going to sing. I'm sure many of us are going to dance. We're going to dress our best because it's Easter Sunday. All right. All the guys are going to come in your nice pastel shirts and your cool ties. And ladies are going to have your nice Easter dresses. We're going to hear the gospel message. We're going to sing songs about how Jesus has risen and how he conquered death, hell, and the grave. We're going to celebrate the story of Jesus. But my question is this. Who will you be inviting into a greater story? Who will you be inviting to sit in the seat next to you on Sunday morning? Who will you be inviting to coffee Sunday morning so that they can experience the story of Jesus Christ? Who are you going to invite to come sit next to you so that the chair next to you doesn't have to be empty, but it can be a new story that we celebrate? Students, who are you going to be inviting from your schools to come and experience the power of Jesus? What children children are going to experience hope in Jesus Christ this Easter season. There is no greater time to make the invitation than Easter Sunday when we celebrate together. If you look around this room, you look at the seats next to you, I, all I see is there's plenty of opportunity. There's plenty of room in this building for new stories And for more people to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. My prayer has always been that the message that's coming out of Bethel would pour into our community. I don't want it just to stay in these four walls. I want it to go into Highland High School. 
I want it to go to Camden County College. I want it to go to our neighborhoods. And I want it to go even further than that. And Easter Sunday is the perfect day to make that invitation. Because on Easter Sunday, more people are willing to come to church than at any other day of the year. Even people who don't believe in Jesus want to come on Easter Sunday. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that if we can get them in the door, you never know what God might do in their life after that. You never know. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't really know anything about Jesus. But all it took was a lunch with him. And his life was changed forever. And if I can get real practical, real fast... We've said this for the last few weeks. 85% of the people that come to our church do so because someone invited them. Not because they got a Facebook invite or because, you know, they saw us on Instagram or anything like that. It was because someone went out of their way to invite them, to bring them to church. And we know that 7 out of 10 people will attend church if you actually go with them. See, many of us, our version of inviting is we're just going to leave a card at the table after lunch. Just leave after that without tipping that great, if I can be real. Many of us, our, our version of inviting is I'm going to slip something under a door or in a mailbox. But no, what really makes the difference is when you say, hey, I'll pick you up Easter Sunday morning. I'll take you to coffee and come to church with me. I'm going to invite you to come to Easter lunch with me or dinner or however way you celebrate it. I'm going to invite you over my home afterwards. That's the kind of invitation that makes a difference. Jesus wasn't just content with just saying, hey, you should come hear one of my messages sometime. No, he went and talked to people. He learned their story, and he invited them in to a greater one. So who are we inviting on Easter Sunday? My prayer is that we have so many people here that those of us who call Bethel our homes have to stand along the back to make room for those who are coming. Please don't let that be a determinant, a deterrent to Easter. I would much rather be standing all morning long and know that people are coming to the altars to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know for some of us, this is easier than others. For some of you, inviting is easy because you remember your first time in a chair. You remember what happened. You remember the first time someone invited you. You remember the first time you pulled up on our campus you remember the first time you checked your kids in. And you remember that first time they came and they told you what they experienced and learned at church that day. And so this is easy for you. You're excited about that. But for others, if you're like me, to be honest, you've grown up in church all your life. No one ever invited me to church. I've just been here. And many of you have the exact same story. But no matter how we came to Christ, what our story is up until this moment, the one thing that we all have in common is that we had a story before Jesus. But we know what our story is because of Him and what He has done since then. And I just can't think of a better way to celebrate Easter than to watch hundreds of people step into a new story in Jesus' name. That's what Easter is all about. That's why Bethel Church exists. We don't exist so that we can just come and have our church services every Sunday. We exist so that people far and wide will know the God who came and died and rose from the dead and has a new story for them today. Amen? So who will you be inviting this Easter? Let's all stand together today. We're going to sing just one.